Ladies and gentlemen, recording from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of the one and only podcast known to the world as Sean's Sports Stop, where Sean Ziplitsky gives his unique opinion on the biggest news stories in sports. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We always start off this podcast, the best podcast in the world, the Sean Sports Stop podcast, the right way, with the legendary UFC ring announcer Bruce Buffer doing the intro for us. We got a lot to talk about across all kinds of sports. We got baseball, football, basketball, college sports, all that jazz. Let's get right into it, starting with some baseball playoffs. Uh, Some surprises so far, I have to say. Uh, this being one of them, the Atlanta Braves are obviously a very solid team. Uh, they have now advanced their second straight NLCS. I did not think they would do so uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers' absolute light-out pitching, lights-out pitching. But the Braves have reached the National League Championship Series for the second straight year with a 5-4 to victory over the Milwaukee Brewers in Game 4 of their NL Division Series at Truist Park on Tuesday. Freddie Freeman provided the knockout blow with a go-ahead home run off Brewers closer Josh Hader, who is unhittable normally in the eighth inning. Neither offense lit up the scoreboard in the series, but the Braves took control with timely hits when they had runners in scoring position. They also shut out the Brewers 3-0 in games two and three. Uh, the Brewers just, you know, have showed in that series that they have lights out pitching and absolutely zero offense of any kind. The Braves were very similar, but uh, like I just said, they had a lot of timely hits, like that Freddie Freeman go-ahead home run. Uh, then the game before that, when they won 3-0, Jock Peterson had a pinch hit three-run home run. So even in the Game 1 victory, the Brewers' offense was mostly silent. The NL Central champions were held scoreless in 25 out of their first 26 innings. After three scoreless innings, both offenses came alive. The Brewers took their first lead of the series since the end of Game 1 on back-to-back RBI singles by Omar Narvaez and Lorenzo Cain. The Braves got right back into the game, though, in the bottom of the fourth on Eddie Rosario's two-run single. Milwaukee had a response of its own in the top half of the fifth. Roddy Tellez, who hit the go-ahead two-run home run in game one, took Huascar Yinoa deep to give the Brewers a 4-2 lead. Atlanta turned around with two runs to tie it in the bottom of the fifth, right back again. The score then stayed tied at four until Freddie Freeman's heroics um, gave the Brewers the, their second straight NLCS berth off uh, Josh Hader. Excuse me, <coughs> my allergies here. Fall is uh, alive and well here in Los Angeles. And uh, next up, we got more baseball. It's uh, on the other side of the national. First of all, the American League Championship Series is set. The Houston Astros pummeled the Chicago White Sox in their last game. They won the series in four games to advance to their fifth straight ALCS. I wouldn't call the Astros a dynasty as much as I hate them. Like, even though, like, I just wouldn't call them a dynasty. Yes, they've reached five straight ALCS. They've had five straight ALCS appearances. But so far, they've only had one World Series title. And they cheated that year. So they didn't even win the World Series in 2019. Like, this this is their fifth straight ALCS, their fifth straight conference championship, essentially. And they only have one World Series, which is kind of tainted and fake, essentially. So... So yeah, on, on the, in the in the American League, it's the Red Sox and the Astros. A rematch of either I believe it was the twenty eighteen ALCS, twenty nineteen. They played in the playoffs in the last few years, and I think they did twice. But the Los Angeles Dodgers, 
push their National League Division Series with the San Francisco Giants to the limit after beating their arch rivals 7-2 on Tuesday. <coughs> right fielder Mookie Betts delivered the big blast with a two-run home run to give the Dodgers a 4-0 lead in the fourth inning. Second baseman Trey Turner's RBI double and Chris Taylor's sacrifice fly put the Dodgers up 2-0 before that. Thanks to those early efforts, Giants pitcher Anthony Desclafani was pulled after only 1.2 innings and 28 pitches, so the Giants had to, bu- had to burn their bullpen quite a bit in Game 4. As for the Dodgers, right-handed starter Walker Buehler and the Dodger bullpen were largely excellent. Buehler obviously started Game 1 and is the, Dodge- is the ace of the Dodgers' insane rotation. Uh, so he started Game 4. It was the first time in his career that he started uh, in the M- a game in the MLB on short rest, and clearly... I mean, he was, you know, he was lights out, 4.1 innings, shut out ball, struck out four. He was pulled after getting uh, getting into a fifth inning jam that saw the Giants put runners on first and second with only one out. But relief pitcher Joe Kelly limited the damage to only one run before wiggling out of any potential rally that the Giants could put up. Mookie Betts later added a fifth inning sack fly. The Giants got one back in the eighth after a Chris Bryant RBI ground out. But Dodgers catcher Will Smith delivered the final blow in, of the game with a two-run home run in the bottom half of the eighth inning. Dodger relievers ultimately combined for 4.2 innings of one-run ball, allowing only four hits and punching out two. The two powerhouses had split a pair of games in San Francisco before the Giants edged the Dodgers 1-0 in LA on Monday to take a 2-1 series lead, which was then followed by this game that the Dodgers tied the series at two. So also for the Dodgers, Gavin Lux has been sensational. He went two for two with uh, two walks in game four. Will Smith has been absolutely lights out, hitting above 400 in the NLDS, going two for four with a home run and two RBIs in Game 4. Anthony Disclefani, obviously a horrible game. 1.2 innings pitched, 5 hits, 2 earned runs, 2 strikeouts. And Giants, I guess you could say utility, man. This guy plays everything. Chris Bryant, he's a, tr- he's a third baseman by trade. He was playing first base in, at, uh, in Game 3. I was at that game at Dodger Stadium. And now he's listed as a right fielder and left fielder. So the guy really plays it all for the Giants. He went 2 for 3 with an RBI. And yeah, so Game 5, the deciding Game 5 is later today. It's... Currently uh, approaching 10 a.m. Pacific time here in uh, beautiful Los Angeles, California. Uh, and uh, game five, the deciding game to see who will play the Atlanta Braves in the National League Championship Series. Either the Dodgers or the Giants will be played today at 6.07 p.m. at Oracle Park in San Francisco, California. It's Julio Urias, the game two starter. He was lights out in his game two start against the Giants this series against Logan Webb, who absolutely shut the, the Dodgers down in game one. Of this series, hopefully the Dodgers can figure that change up out. And yeah, this is uh, the last game. But before the MLB playoffs move on to the LCS rounds. With that said, we got some WNBA to talk about. I know we don't talk about it often, but we are right now. Phoenix Mercury star Diana uh, Diana Tarasi is frustrated with the WNBA's travel arrangements after she had to charter a plane to Arizona to be with her wife, Penny Taylor, in time for the birth of the couple's second child. I wonder how that worked. <laughs> Speaking to ESPN's Josh Weinfuss, what a name. Tarsai was critical of the WNBA for making players pay for things that should be covered by the league. Quote, we pay for everything. This is the WNBA. We pay for it. It's frustrating because there are people that, w- that would like to help, and it's against CBA rules and this, and I understand there's a standard to make sure everyone is on the same playing field. So thank you to my Russian buddies for that. I'm not sure what that exactly means or if she's sarcastic, passive-aggressive, facetious, whatever her intentions are. Travel issues have been a hot topic among teams throughout the WNBA playoffs. Connecticut Sun head coach Kurt Miller told reporters about his club's challenges in trying to get to Chicago for a game against the Sky in the semifinals. 
Uh, quote, Kurt Miller says that the Sky have to take four separate flights home and that the Sun will be taking three to get to Chicago tomorrow to avoid sitting in middle seats. That's what this league goes through. That's what these amazing women, the best in the world, go through. To clarify, this means for the Sun that the Sun's 20-plus travel party is spread among those three flights at two different airports. Uh, that's, that's ridiculous, in my opinion. After the Mercury clinched a spot in the WNBA Finals by de defeating the Las Vegas Aces in Game 5 of the semifinals Friday in Las Vegas, Tarasai and teammates Brittany Griner and Skylar Diggins-Smith flew home separately from the rest of the team so Tarasai could be present for the berth early Saturday morning. Weinfuss noted Tarasai's unhappiness is part of a bigger issue with the WNBA, and it's obviously not just her frustrations, her situation uh, that she's, you know, complaining about. And But at the end of the day, the WNBA does not make money if... Like, people don't watch the WNBA. I, I'm i going to be honest. I don't watch the WNBA. I don't really know. I'm a die. I'm a gigantic sports fan. This is my, this is like my 360th podcast episode about sports, sports news. The WNBA is covered maybe 3% of the time. You want something like this happens when there's a major story to talk about. Most of the time, it involves how they get paid less than NBA players, which is essentially what I'm talking about now as well, just in different, from a different angle, I would say. Since I'm a huge sports fan, I know a lot of sports fans. A lot of sports fans. I can't name a single person that I know that actually watches the NBA, the WNBA. Not the NBA, the WNBA. I seriously cannot. It's not us being sexist. It's nothing like that. It's just not fun to watch. I'd seriously, truly rather watch boys high school basketball. I wouldn't go so far as to say middle school. But shit, it depends who, honestly. I would... No doubt, no brainer. I'd rather watch high school boys high school ba basketball, boys high school basketball, boys high school basketball than the WNBA. I swear to God, it's just it's boring. I'm sorry. It's just those women are amazing. They're the best at what they do, the best in the world. But it's just boring as fuck compared to the NBA and other uh, male basketball leagues across pretty much all levels. That's not middle school. The NFL Players Association plans to ask the NFL to release emails related to the investigation into the workplace of the Washington football team. With a name like that, they better have an investigation on their ass. Quote, we have, we have had communications with the league and the NFLPA. Plans to request that the NFL release the rest of the emails. NFLPA Executive Director De DeMarie Smith told USA Today. Racist, sexist, and anti-gay emails sent by Las Vegas Raiders head coach John Gruden were uncovered in the investigation and leaked over the past week. Gruden subsequently resigned. The NFL has obtained 650,000 emails as part of the investigation, but has no plans on publicly releasing any evidence uncovered. Confidentiality was agreed upon before the NFL took over the investigation into the Washington football team, which led to team owner Dan Snyder paying a $10 million fine and ceding day-to-day -day operations of the franchise to his wife. It's unclear how Gruden's emails were leaked to the press, but it seems likely that any further damage that could come from the, this investigation will come via leaks and not the NFL or anyone else notable or, you know, official releasing that information. The NFL would open itself up to litigation by breaking confidentiality, so I highly doubt they would do anything of the sort. Pressure from the union could lead to a change, though that does seem unlikely, at least in my opinion. So that's the latest on John Gruden, the Washington football team, and those emails. He's... You know, gonna be black. He, it's looking like he's blacklisted from the NFL. The Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, removed him from their ring of honor, their team's ring of honor. EA Sports has removed him from all of their uh, Madden, you know, video games. So Gruden really fucked up this time. We got more football to talk about. 
New York Giants coach Joe Judge said Wednesday that Daniel Jones is, quote, on track with everything to clear concussion protocol ahead of Sunday's game against the Los Angeles Rams. Jones left his uh, team, his team's week five game against the Dallas Cowboys late in the second quarter. His coach said the quarterback can start in week six, saying, quote, I would say from all the information we have, yes, if he is cleared medically, he would be an option. Uh, Jones reportedly worked out with trainers on a Wednesday. Mike Glennon took oh Jesus Christ, Mike Glennon is still in the NFL. Holy shit. Mike Glennon took over for Jones during the 44-20 loss, finishing with 196 passing yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. A very Mike Glennon-like game. The 31-year-old would start if Jones is unavailable. He has nine years of NFL experience, including 27 starts. Glennon was a whopping 0-5 last season with the Jacksonville Jaguars, completing 62% of his passes for over 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns with five interceptions. Jones was the number six overall pick in 2019. He's completed over 64% of his passes. Pretty impressive for about 1,300 yards, four touchdowns against one interception. Um, I'm assuming that's not his all-time stats. That would be very low. <laughs> he also ran for 197 yards and two scores on 30 attempts. The Giants are, you know, I don't know what they're doing. They're rebuilding, not rebuilding. They're having a bad year again. They're one and four so far. And they could be shorthanded either way against the Rams after Saquon Barkley hurt his ankle and Kenny Galladay hurt his knee. Um, so, I mean, their, their top three offensive players, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Kenny Galladay, are all injured. Uh, some might play, some might not. It's pretty obscure as of now. Speaking of obscurities, here's another one. Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. What in the hell is going on with that? Well, I'll tell you. After a, summer of, of, after a summer staring contest, essentially, full of media intrigue and closed-door conversations, hush-hush, you know, lots of secrets, lots of secrecy, rumors, discussions, all sorts of weird things, Sixers all-star guard Ben Simmons arrived at Wells Fargo Center unannounced on Monday evening, just prior to Philadelphia's tip-off against the Brooklyn Nets, and in time to receive his first preseason COVID-19 test as part of the NBA's health and safety protocols. It seems the surprise appearance was quite intentional, just the latest choreography Simmons and his team over at Clutch Sports, the infamous Clutch Sports, have orchestrated this offseason aiming to position Philadelphia President Daryl Morey and his front office into greater trade conversations around the league. Simmons' agent, Rich Paul, who is also LeBron James's agent, spoke with both Morey and Sixers head coach Doc Rivers on numerous occasions on Monday, but did not inform the team that Simmons planned to report later that evening. So it was a surprise appearance, I guess, for the Sixers and their staff. Simmons' naysayers around the NBA have pointed to his arrival coming only after the cost of the 25-year-old holdout reached nearly a million dollars in fines and missed game checks. Yet two sources with knowledge of, of his thinking maintained Simmons was always prepared to forfeit money ahead of training camp, and it consistently loomed as a possibility that the All-Star would report to Philadelphia in time for the season if he was not yet traded with an, with an expectation of being able to recoup a portion of his dock payments. That concept, though, seems unlikely due to league rules reviewed by NBA and Players Association figures. Simmons completed his physical on Tuesday, sources told Bleacher Report, and he will begin working out on the court in isolation with Sixers coaches on Wednesday. In accordance with the NBA's health and safety protocols, the All-Star has to work out alone until he has five days of negative COVID-19 tests, and the earliest that he could rejoin his teammates in full would be on Friday, which is tomorrow. That physical and Wednesday's first practice session are just the beginning of several phases the Sixers have planned for reinvigorating Simmons into their team environment. The team has individual film and weight training sessions planned. Philadelphia has consulted with various sports psychologists in the previous weeks, and the team believes it has bolstered the resources Simmons has available to improve his game, specifically by hiring a new shooting and skills coach. It would seem likely that the Philadelphia 76ers will make a huge effort to clear the air with Simmons and his teammates, specifically Joel Embiid. 
Uh, Maury and Rivers met with Simmons on Tuesday at the team's practice facility in Camden, New Jersey. It was the first occasion Simmons himself communicated directly with Philadelphia personnel since the president and coach, along with general manager Elton Brand and managing partner Joshua Harris, met with Simmons and his agent in August at Paul's Los Angeles home, sources said. So it's been a while, two months to be exact. He also has now res- resumed responding to phone calls and text messages from Sixers personnel for the first time in well over a month. In this most recent sit-down, as was the case during that August meeting, Morian Rivers once again asked Simmons for his reasoning for seeking a trade somewhere else. While the overwhelming majority of communication between Clutch and Philadelphia this summer has persisted between Paul, Morian, and Brand and not Simmons, sources said Simmons has only directly mentioned a general interest in a new start. So maybe it's Rich Paul driving this whole thing. Who knows? Maybe Simmons really wants to be moved and is not very outspoken about it in his meetings with Sixers personnel. Who knows? And on Tuesday, Simmons did not explain why he chose to report this week either. So basically, they don't know what the hell he's thinking, what he wants to do. He has only alluded to wanting to grow his game in a different situation, one that has not been clouded by a long-standing questions about his relationship with and a perceived on-court um, beef uh, or issue with Joel Embiid. It seems Rivers and Embiid's critical comments about Simmons following the team's Game 7 loss against the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference semifinals last season only further fanned those flames some executives polled by Bleacher Report characterized Rivers' statement in particular as reprehensible for a coach. I mean, he really did kind of single out and call out Ben Simmons. I'm not sure if that was the right thing to do. Evidently, it's looking like it was not the right thing to do. Uh, from the initial conversations in Chicago, when Paul found Maury and Brand on separate occasions to first uh, convince Simmons or accompany Simmons' trade request during the week of the NBA draft combine, clutch figures maintained the defensive player of the year runner-up planned to skip training camp. The Sixers then stood firm that they don't necessarily want to trade Simmons and are only uh, open to trading him for one of the few players in a tier above Simmons, such as Damian Lillard or James Harden before him. The Sixers still believe the dominant defensive pairing between him and Embiid can be the backbone of a, of a 2022 championship team. For that, dating back to those combined dialogues, Philadelphia was adamant, adamant in his plans to withhold Simmons' pay for not complying with the terms of the five-year $170-plus contract that he signed in July of 2019. Later at Paul's home, Rivers even shouted, quote, it's in your fucking contract to report and play for Philadelphia. <laughs> so mending the dynamic between Rivers and Simmons would appear as crucial of a step as any in, in phasing his return back to the Sixers. For now, Rivers seems interested um, in um, bringing, bringing Simmons back. But by all accounts, the head coach, a former point guard, has never managed to build a strong rapport with Simmons. Perhaps that's due to the additional demands coaches typically place on their nominal floor generals, especially if he's a star like Ben Simmons. So that's the latest. I mean, who knows what's going to happen um, at this point? I'm kind of 50-50. You know, I was before this, I was 100% certain that Ben Simmons would be traded. If not, you know, now, then later in the season, mid-season. That's still definitely a possibility. But Daryl Morey and the Sixers are purposely asking teams for too much because they just want to trade. I mean, they want to keep Ben Simmons. They don't want to trade him. Uh, he was adamant on going. Now it seems like he is a little more open to staying. But... Let me tell you this. If Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey and the Sixers personnel don't even know what Ben Simmons wants to do, how the fuck am I supposed to know what he wants to do? It is as mysterious as it gets right now. Uh, I mean, first of all, they like I said, they didn't know that he would show up to the team facility. They also, it's just, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Um, if I have to bet my life, I would say that he stays a Sixer for at least this upcoming season. And at the very at the absolute worst, he gets traded uh, by the trade deadline. So that's that's what I think. 
Switching gears to football, more on Gruden. Las Vegas Raiders owner Mark Davis declined to further discuss John Gruden after he accepted the resignation of the team's former head coach on Monday. Quote, I have no comment. Ask the NFL. They have all the answers. Davis told ESPN's Paul Gutierrez on Wednesday. Uh, so yeah, Gruden stepped down, as I said earlier in the show, after the New York Times reported on racist, anti-gay, and misogynistic remarks he made in emails that he'd sent dating back to 2011. The Raiders announced that special teams coordinator Rich Bisaccia will, will serve as the team's interim head coach, beginning with Sunday's Week 6 road game against the Denver Broncos. Davis told Gutierrez general manager Mike Mayock would now hold 51% of control on roster decisions compared to 49% for Bisaccia. It was previously a 51-49 split favoring Gruden over Mayock. Gruden's emails were revealed as part of an investigation into an alleged to- toxic workplace culture within the Washington football team. Former Washington team president Bruce Allen was involved in various emails, email chains where Gruden made offensive, offensive remarks. So yeah, I mean, Allen previously worked as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, GM from 2004 through 8, while Gruden was the team's head coach, and then he was fired by Washington after the 2019 season. So John Gruden, like I said, is looking like he's blacklisted from the NFL. Speaking of blacklisted, here's someone... <laughs> Here's someone that's blacklisted, all right? Shit. Former UFC light heavyweight champion John Jones was arrested last month on suspicion of domestic violence against against his fiance, and he's starting to face the consequences of his actions. Finally, I mean, it only took like 10 arrests for him to face the consequences. Jones was charged with misdemeanor battery, domestic violence, plus a felony charge of injuring or tampering with a vehicle. He headbutted a police car. I would have paid to see that. MMA coach Mike Winklejohn, Jones's longtime head trainer, said Wednesday on the MMA Hour that he made the difficult decision to ban Jones from the Jackson Wink MMA Academy, his home gym in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's a huge decision, uh, showing, showing him that he basically does not want to associate with John Jones anymore because of his horrible actions. Quote, it's one of the toughest ones. It broke my heart that I was even put in that position where I felt I had to do it. Jones has had a long history of legal troubles throughout his career in the UFC. He was, he was arrested in 2015 for a hit and run in Albuquerque and accepted a plea deal to receive probation. He pleaded no contest to disorderly conduct in 2019 after he was accused of groping a waitress at an Albuquerque strip bar. After his arrest in September, Jones announced on Instagram that he plans to, quote, leave alcohol in my past forever. Winklejohn believes that many of Jones's issues stem from his alcohol consumption and he needs to see change in his behavior before he's allowed back in the gym. So he's not permanently banned. Quote, I just had a conversation with him, Winkle John said. I said, John, uh, here's the deal, man. You're like my little brother. You have to stop drinking and fix these things for a certain period of time until you come back to the gym. Winkle John said he felt it was important to send a message to the rest of his fighters and clients, including those in women's in a women's self-defense class at the gym, that there will be absolutely no tolerance for behavior like Jones' specifically domestic violence. He added that he's hopeful that Jones will eventually work his way back to the gym, saying, quote, I just want to set the precedent for the rest of my guys in the gym and people as a whole. I'm all about forgiveness, but let's go forward. Let's fix these things. I know he can't. I know he can. I'm optimistic that he can do that. So Winkle John is not giving up on Jones. He's Definitely, it looks like he's definitely optimistic that uh, John will be able to uh, bounce back and fix his behavior, and I truly hope that he will. I mean, John Jones is an unbelievable fighter. Switching gears back to baseball, the Chicago Cubs are planning to finalize a deal with Carter Hawkins to make him their new general manager, according to The Athletic. Hawkins has served as an assistant GM for the Cleveland Indians since November 2016, taking on the role after Derek Falvey was named the Minnesota Twins president of baseball operations. Following the 2020 season, the Cubs promoted Jed Hoyer from GM to president of baseball operations after Theo Epstein left the organization. In addressing the move, Epstein uh, referenced, quote, a number of decisions this winter that carry long-term consequences, which some saw as a forthcoming rebuild in the Windy City. The Cubs then proceeded to trade away. They they non-tendered Kyle Schwarber and traded away Hugh Darvish, Craig Kimbrell, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Javier Baez, basically their whole team. 
Chicago finished fourth in the National League Central at 71 and 91, which was their worst record in almost a decade since 2013. Hiring Hawkins would align with the franchise's current vision since Cleveland largely had to lean on homegrown talent to fuel its run of three straight division titles from 2016 through 2018. Per Cots baseball contracts, the team's year-end payroll has not been higher than 15th since 2002. The Cubs would theoretically be big spenders every year. They should be. They play in a major market, and according to Forbes, uh, Forbes projected, projected them as the fourth most valuable franchise in the MLB at $3.4 billion in March. But Chicago's business over the past year indicates ownership desires to trim costs. Its opening day payroll at $147.8 million was 12th highest in the league despite be- being the fourth most valuable team, down from fifth, went from fifth to 12th in 2020. In a few years, the free spending may continue if the Cubs are closer to a World Series or if they're playoff contenders. It may even come before that, with Hoyer saying in September, the Cubs, quote, plan to be really active in free agency and plan to spend money intelligently. So the Cubs are looking to bounce back. Now switching gears to the sub NHL. NHL on TNT debuted and it was great. I mean it's so much better than NBC Sportsnet. At least in my opinion, TNT really knows how to, you know, broadcast sports. But Alexander Ovechkin posted two goals and two assists to lead the Washington Capitals to a dominant 5-1 victory over the visiting New York Rangers on Wednesday at Capital One Arena. Ovechkin, who entered the season sixth in NHL history with 730 regular season goals, is now all alone in fifth after passing ex-center Marcel Dion. The 36-year-old was a game-time decision because of a lower body injury beforehand, but he took the ice and dominated. I mean, two goals and two assists is amazing. Both of his goals came in the third period to cap Washington's scoring. His assists led to power play goals from TJ Ossie and Justin Schultz, respectively, to start the Capitals' five-goal night. Uh, in the middle, Hendry Lapierre netted a goal for his own, of his own for a 3-0 second period lead. Washington goalie Vitek Vancic earned the win after amassing 23 saves. New York's lone goal was courtesy of Chris Kreider on the power play in the third quarter. Fuck, third period, excuse me. Uh, no quarters in hockey. There's three periods, 20 minutes each. Uh, he cut Washington's edge to 4-1. This game served as the opener opening game of the 2021-22 season for both teams that were involved, the Washington Capitals and New York Rangers, but we got more football. Uh, finally, I guess the Washington Washington football team are doing some damage control PR-wise. <laughs> the Washington football team announced on Thursday that they will retire late safety Sean Taylor's number 21 jersey prior to Sunday's home game against the Kansas City Chiefs. The ceremony will be part of Alumni Homecoming Weekend, which will see Washington host nearly 100 former players at FedEx Field. Taylor was a two-time Pro Bowler. Uh, in four seasons with Washington and star on his on the rise when he tragically died at the age of two thousand of two thousand fuck at the age of twenty four excuse me, in two thousand seven after he was shot during an invasion of his home, uh, so incredibly sad. Uh, the WFT added that they will officially rename the road leading to FedEx Field as Sean Taylor Road prior to Sunday's game. The first ten thousand fans to enter the stadium also will receive a commemorative Sean Taylor rally towel. Uh, that's, that's you love to see it. That's very classy from uh, Washington, the Washington football team. It's uh, really awesome. Transitioning to more football, will Odell Beckham be traded again? Will he? The Cleveland Browns could reportedly move on, move on from wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. following the 2021 NFL season. The Athletic reported Thursday that Beckham's name has not popped up on the trade block ahead of the November 2nd deadline, which is only a couple weeks away. But there, but there are, quote, signs pointing toward the front office trading or releasing him during the offseason. Beckham was one of the NFL's most explosive playmakers across his first three seasons with the New York Giants from 2014 through 2016. He compiled almost 300 catches for over 4,100 yards and 35 touchdowns while earning three straight Pro Bowl selections. But then the injuries came. He suffered a fractured ankle in 2017, and while he did 
surpassed 1,000 yards with New York in 2018 and Cleveland in 2019. He's never returned to the upper echelon of receivers that uh, he was, you know, upon from 2014 through 2016. Further complicating matters is a torn ACL that he suffered last season. The 28-year-old LSU product missed the first two games of this season while completing his recovery from that knee injury. In three games since his return, he's registered nine catches for 124 yards and no touchdowns. I mean, nothing special. Sunday's game against the Los Angeles Chargers felt like the perfect time for a breakout game. Fellow wideout Jarvis Landry was out with an injury, and Browns put up 42 points in a shootout with the high-powered bolts, but Odell only had two catches on three targets. I mean, it's it's crazy. He's just not himself. He, he's a shell of his former self. Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski was asked about Beckham's lack of involvement in a game where the team ran 68 plays and totaled over 530 yards of offense. He said, quote, as I've mentioned before, he's a di- dynamic playmaker. He's very front of mind when, he, when we are game planning and when we are calling plays. Sometimes the defense dictates if the ball goes elsewhere, and we are comfortable with that because we have good players elsewhere. So that just sounds like an excuse, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Now we are switching gears to some more football to close out episode number 351 of the Podcast. More drama with the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer. Some players on the Jacksonville Jaguars may not have been connecting with head coach Urban Meyer even before the recent scandal that put his standing with the team in question. According to Jeff Hove, the athletic sources don't believe Meyer's actions caused him to, quote, lose the locker room because he, quote, never had the locker room to begin with. (laughs) That's just sad. The sources noted that his coaching style, quote, hasn't rung with the Jags' veteran players the same way that it did with younger players during his coaching days in college. Meyer came under fire for skipping the team flight back home after a loss to the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 4, remaining in Ohio and being caught on video at his at his bar and restaurant in Dublin, Ohio, with a woman who was not, not his wife dancing closely in front of him. Meyer told reporters he apologized to the team for his actions, saying, quote, I just apologized to the team and staff for being a distraction. Just stupid, and so I explained everything that happened and owned it. Just stupid. Should not have put myself in that kind of position. The 57-year-old coach also attempted to explain what happened at the bar, saying, quote, there was a big group next to our restaurant, and they wanted me to come over and take pictures, and I did. They were trying to pull me out on the dance floor, screwing around, and I should have left. That sounds like a lie to me, but who knows? Who knows what the truth is? Uh, as my dad says, it's the truth is always somewhere in the middle of the two sides that are uh, arguing. In the wake of Myers' press conference, Jaguars owner Shad Khan released a statement calling his actions, quote, inexcusable and noting he would have to regain trust within the organization. Despite Ken's aggravation, he kept Meyer in the fold, and the head coach later told reporters that he never considered resigning, and it's looking like he will stay with the team. The Jags were in search of a big-name coach after going 23-43 and 43 with one playoff appearance under Doug Marone over the past four-plus seasons. Jacksonville lured Meyer out of retirement by giving him his first NFL head coaching jobs after successful stints at Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, and Ohio State at the collegiate level. Expectations were definitely high for the three-time national champion, uh, especially since they drafted Trevor Lawrence first overall out of Clemson, but it's been a rather difficult transition. The Jaguars are one of the only two winless teams in the NFL, sporting an 0-5 record. Jacksonville has not been close in most of their games, as four of their five losses have come by double digits. Meyer will look to get his first win in the NFL as a head coach on Sunday when he leads the Jags against the Miami Dolphins in London. So how about that? Two Florida teams playing each other in London. And uh, we got one more story to talk about. Uh, I lied. There was only going to be, I was going to end it with Urban Meyer, but uh, we got something to talk about involving <coughs> involving Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. And there possibly might be another one after this. We'll see. We'll see how I'm feeling. Kyrie Irving's vaccination status and Ben Simmons' trade request could have ripple effects for beyond Brooklyn and Philadelphia. They may even impact the NBA and MBPA's next round of collective bargaining negotiations. 
There was never any confidence in league circles that the union would agree to, to a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Both MBA and MBPA officials are quick to point out that the overwhelming majority of players have received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Yet team management and ownership figures across the league have voiced frustration about double standards for players like Irving, whom the NBA does not require to be vaccinated. Meanwhile, the league does, does require basketball and business operations staffers to be vaccinated, and they are subject to close contact with unvaccinated players. There is a belief among ownership figures that this discrepancy could not could net a concession from the players' union during the next round of CBA negotiations, sources said, especially after media day was dominated by conversation about players' vaccination statuses. The storyline has only continued cast, casting up, you know, a shadow over the preseason as the Nets announced Tuesday that they will not permit Irving to join the team until he is vaccinated. The league has sent a memo to all 30 teams in late August seeking a wide range of feedback, which was due on September 22nd, well ahead of next year's upcoming round of negotiations with the Players Union. The NBA and the MBPA currently have the right to opt out of the CBA ahead of each season, but there's an official opt-out date in December 2022, so obviously we're far from that. That precedes the NBA's new television deal, which would start in 2025. League officials are prepared for what for that deal to exceed $8 billion annually, which would have teams with a salary cap north of $170 million per season, uh, sources confirmed. Team executives provided extensive criticism to the league office about the perceived failure of the Supermax contract to keep stars in their, in their original markets. Sources said, the seemingly increasing volume of trade requests from star players such as Simmons, who have often already agreed to huge deals, has exposed the limitations of even the most lucrative contracts. As I said earlier in the show, Simmons signed a contract worth $170 million over five years. Uh, it was a, He signed it in July 2019. It was an extension which included designated rookie extension language that elevated him to a salary worth an additional 3% of, the, of his team's cap, a new total over $177 million once he was named third-team third All-NBA during the 2019-20 season. The fact that Simmons then requested a trade only one year after signing that lucrative contract uh, away from Philadelphia, the top seed and in the Eastern Conference last season, has raised alarm bells among league officials and teams around the league. The union and its agents will allow us vote in favor of increasing players' freedom of movement and have generally supported trade requests as players as parallel to teams' ability to move them at a moment's notice. Yet there is a clause in every player's contract that explicitly states their team's ability to do so and the team officials have recently discussed the possibility of in introducing monetary repercussions for players who ask out. That would be stupid. That should not happen. Quote, there's got to be some kind of penalty or fine, said one assistant general manager. These guys signed the Supermax and they want to get traded the next day. <laughs> I mean, that is true. It is the new trick of the trade, agreed one longtime agent. Proposals have varied, but they largely center on something that would be a reverse trade kicker of sorts, where players can receive a maximum bonus of 15% of their salary if a team decides to move them. Some team officials want to see a player who requests a trade forfeit upwards of 70% of his salary. Others have told Bleacher Report about what seems like a far more realistic situation, where the player in question would only make 60% of his guaranteed money once he requests a new team. That's you know reasonable if, the, if you want to move so much. Uh, you're going to lose 40% of your contract. I mean, that's fair. Any such outcome would clearly be dis disadvantageous to the union side and would likely require the NBA governors to yield even more of the BRI that has already been whittled down to an essentially 50-50 split. That could be a worthwhile sacrifice, though, in the name of greater team stability. Quote, if you put a provision in there and you and say you can't ever ask for a trade and we'll give you a, a BRI percentage more, the league would, could win that, said the player agent. Is there a simpler reality where teams can uh, be awarded supplemental draft picks for losing an all-star by way of trade request? They should absolutely throw that stuff out there, added another assistant general manager. 
The supermax or designated player exception would seem to have a far greater likelihood of being altered in some fashion. The concept was originally designed to boost teams' chances of retaining their franchise players, especially if they're in a small market, but the results have been damaging to many of those franchises. Paying a player up to 35% of the salary cap when the rival suitors cannot hinder a front office's ability to surround that player with supplementary talent needed to win a championship. And when the team drifts out of contention, that player has typically requested a trade, such as Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder, James Harden and the Houston Rockets. Many rival executives hope that the same will eventually happen with Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. He's been involved in trade rumors for years now. He wants to stay in Portland. It can also hamstring teams that are, are not even in title contention. For instance, John Wall's contract, long haunted the Washington Wizards' uh, financial books. When Kemba Walker qualified for the designated player exception in 2019, it gave the Charlotte Hornets and Walker's agent a higher ceiling to negotiate his next contract. However, the, that new salary range for Walker would have made it more challenging for the small market Hornets to further build around him, which led to them signing trading him to the Boston Celtics. Quote, The designated player was an epic disaster of a rule, said one assistant GM. If you look at every team that has signed that contract, they've either ended up in the tax or that player has been traded, a team capologist. I didn't know that's a thing. Told Bleacher Report, players get disgruntled because they signed the contract early in their career. You have less cap room to build around them. Then you've stalled your building process. You can't pay everyone. It becomes too expensive. It's a mess. So players shouldn't sign Supermaxes then, in my opinion. These Supermax salaries will, will only continue to balloon even higher under the league's next television contract in 2025. Whether the league and union agree to, quote, smooth the new influx of cash remains highly uncertain. It seems no party in the league office, team, or union feels the events of 2016 were optimal when numerous front offices splurged on expensive contracts as the cap jumped by $24 million. Quote, we probably have more people now in the league who want to smooth it, said another team strategist. Smoothing isn't a quick solution, though. It takes time. Uh, in that scenario, players would be paid in increment, in incrementally larger amounts, similar to when they receive shortfall payments, where the NBA's projection for the salary cap turns out to be lower than the actual BRI by season's end. So would each player in the NBA be paid evenly? Would it be prorated with Supermax players getting 30 or 35% of the team's uh, smoothing allotment and their lowest paid teammates receiving less? Another main topic expected to be examined is whether all, all draft eligible players should be required to undergo medical evaluations for all 30 teams during the pre-draft process. Agents have increasingly withheld the prospect's medical information from certain teams to steer their clients to a preferred destination. That's another loophole as well. Some teams choose those players regardless. Cleveland selected Evan Mobley and Sacramento drafted Davion Mitchell this summer, even though they did not have access to those players' medical information. But withholding that info does put some front offices in difficult predicaments. Quote, it's fucking ridiculous, said an assistant GM. You're telling your owner you're going to draft a kid and give him $30 million over four years and we don't know his medical. You're giving so much money to these people. What happens if you draft him in the top five over other players who could change your franchise and find out there's a heart condition? That's fireable. And I absolutely, that I absolutely agree with. That's ridiculous. Executives are quick to point out when teams acquire players by trade or in free agency, they are subject to a medical evaluation, but not in the draft. And it is within the union's power to require all draft eligible players to be evaluated. It simply has not done so. Teams are also hoping to address the league's luxury tax structures, the ever-growing buyout market, G League exclusivity rights, and two-way roster spots, the calendar order of the draft and free agency, and the mechanism of restricted free agency sources. So there are a lot of things that the NBA needs to figure out, and soon. Buyout players have not historically made significant impacts for their new teams. But executives are curious about adding a budgeted waiver system that would allow teams to bid on bought-out players, similar to the popular free agent budgets in fantasy sports, or a system that would allow incumbent teams to still pay part of their player's salary and trade a smaller amount to his new team. 
all of these issues will be viewed through a particular lens. Small market teams have different objectives than those in big markets, as does the union's membership where Supermax players have differing perspectives from those on minimum deals. But the league's overall economy, especially pertaining to its ongoing financial recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic, will loom as the largest background context of all. And with that, what a story that was went all in. That's all I have for this, this episode of Sean Sports Up. If you love the show, follow me on iTunes. Uh, follow on Spotify, you know, rate five stars on iTunes. Follow me on Instagram at Sean Hard, though. That's S-E-A-N-H-A-R-D-T-H-O, Sean Hard, though. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you guys. With that, I'm out.